Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, Internet? And welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardawar, and today we have a special interview episode for you from CES. I got a chance to sit down with the folks behind the streaming video service Quibi, which we've been hearing about for the past year or so. And it's really interesting because it is a mobile-only video streaming premium service uh, that you'll have to pay for. But what's also fascinating is that they've raised over a billion dollars of funding, and they plan to raise another billion dollars. And it has some big names behind it, including Jeffrey Katzenberg, the studio head and producer who's well-known in Hollywood, and Meg Whitman as the CEO, who used to be the CEO of HP. They also managed to amass a pretty large amount of star talent, including Steven Spielberg and director Guillermo del Toro, uh, a lot of celebrities, too, on their shows like Chrissy Teigen. Basically, we can see where this money is being spent. I sat down with both of them to have them explain their vision for the service and how it's different from everything else out there. And apologies for the sound of this recording. I had to put our recorder on a table and there's a lot of banging and other noise, but I think you can still get a sense of what everyone's saying. Oh, maybe we'll just do a quick sure. overview, and then we'd love to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you know, um, there's been a long history in Hollywood of technology enabling new ways to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And so, what we just started out to do was bring together the best of Hollywood and the best of Silicon Valley to create a unique mobile viewing experience mm-hmm. with premium quality content for on-the-go viewing. Which, of course, led us to then say. We need to have nothing longer on Quibi than 10 minutes. Now, it might be a two-hour movie in chapters, Mm -hmm. but each session length should be no longer than 10 minutes. And uh, so Jeffrey and I got together in March of 2018, and we've been building the company. And you'll see tomorrow when you come to the keynote the talent that we've got, the terrific um, quality of of the content, and a new technology platform that enables mobile viewing to look fantastic here. So we think about it as script-to-screen innovation. The content needs to be shot differently for mobile, and um, obviously the technology does some things that are pretty natural. Gotcha. And the idea is vertical formatted, like telling stories that way? It's um, portrait to landscape. Okay. You'll see the demo of of its seamless, full-screen portrait to landscape. Mm -hmm. um, So it's your option. You can watch it any way you want to. It just needs to look great. No matter what, and you'll see it in the next. Are the producers being guided in any particular way, like to yeah. make sure it's always framed good for portrait, but also landscape? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we've now created a, a very detailed kind of playbook, if you will, based on this first year of some of the best filmmakers, mm-hmm. that, and you're going to get to meet a few of them here cool. this afternoon. And um, you know, they were sort of the pioneers that not only showed uh, 
us the way, but themselves the way. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a really pretty phenomenal discovery process. Gotcha. The learning curve was fast and steep, and mm-hmm. but boy, they just did an amazing, amazing job. There. And is it only mobile viewing? Will you guys have any like desktop or TV no. viewing? No, not at launch. Okay. Is that, is that something you're thinking about eventually or how to position it? You know, when you see the technology, you mm-hmm. will see how important it is to be able to go portrait to landscape uh-huh. seamlessly. And uh-huh. you can't take a TV and do that. Well, Samsung just announced <laughs> yeah, I heard one, that. <laughs> which is the craziest thing I've ever seen. But Until you hey. see what we've done and okay. then you go, mm, maybe they were anticipating us. They might. They might have been. They've known what we've been up to for two years, so yeah. it wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Gotcha. And can you guys give me a sense of how does the platform work? So... You launch Quibi, you're seeing content that's curated for you. Can you download things for offline viewing? Mm-hmm. How flexible is it? Yeah, you can do instant download for anything that you want to watch. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're in New York and you get on the subway. Yeah. You can download yep. the night before or you can download you know, right at that instant moment. And, um, and honestly, it's, it's built for this on-the-go mm-hmm. use case. Can you set up like schedules for this? is I like the show every morning, make sure it's loaded on my device. Well, um, we have a watching feature okay. on the device so that you know it'll alert you when the next episode of whatever it is that you're watching um, is ready to go. Cool, cool. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, just talking to people in Hollywood and in the media industry, I think you guys have been working on one of the, I think, most unique ideas for a while, and people have been hearing about the funding, and they're just wondering... Where is all that going? Right. Is it is it all going to this original content? So, yeah. The two biggest expenditures are content, yeah. first and foremost, and second is marketing. Okay. Because we have to actually tell people about Quibi. Yes. It's an yeah. unknown brand, unlike you know Disney or, or Warner Media, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a completely different use case. Because people, when they first hear Quibi, they think, oh, it's another streaming platform. Yeah. It is, but it is mobile only, and it's a completely different use case. So we mm-hmm. have to we have to tell that story to customers. Gotcha. And um, subscription, all mm-hmm. premium. How are you guys thinking? No, it's four ninety nine a month ad okay. supported, seven ninety nine a month ad free. Mm-hmm. And every new user that signs up, there'll be a two week free trial. All you can eat free trial. Excellent. And you guys mentioned making this something geared towards millennial viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, just like talking to a lot of my younger family, people don't really watch self-contained shows anymore, right? They they may have a YouTube follow. They may have a YouTube channel they like to follow, or just like little bits of content. Is that you want it to feel like that? You want it to feel more like YouTube rather than I'm sitting down and watching, you know, The Office. At, no, you know, I, no, Thursday I don't. Or something. I think it's. I, I, here's the thing. Yeah. No one knows. Yeah. And all I can offer to you is my own experience mm-hmm. since I've probably now watched more of this than anybody else on yep. planet Earth. And I, all I can say is, is that it's not like any other place. It's not like YouTube or TikTok or Snapchat or broadcast TV or streaming, you know, Netflix or mm-hmm. Disney Plus. They're all great, by the way. There's nothing wrong with any yeah. of them. This is different. And the... Um, immersiveness of this the uh, uh, the sort of um, how do I say it's just yeah it's it's just the connection that you have when mm-hmm. you're watching this content one you know it's for five or six or seven minutes so it's for defined it's just captivating mm-hmm. it's immersive and um, uh, you know and I think it's captivating in a way that's unlike anything else we've, we've done before Excellent. There's also, um, you asked what kind of content are yeah. people going to watch. There's three kinds. I think we have quite a unique content strategy. Okay. There are movies in chapters, so they could be a 150-minute movie in 10, 15-minute, I mean in 15, 10-minute chapters. 
And, um, I'll give you the best example when people go, okay, I got it. The mm -hmm. Da Vinci Code okay. in, in written mm -hmm. form is um, 464 pages mm -hmm. and 105 chapters. Every chapter is five pages long because Dan Brown, 18 years ago, said, I don't think people have 45 minutes to read anymore, so yeah. you've got five minutes. I want you to read one chapter. So that's why, but there's nothing lesser about the Da Vinci Code, mm -hmm. the plot, the writing, everything. And there's nothing lesser about the movies we're making except for the delivery in chapters. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, non-scripted, unscripted, episodic shows and documentaries that you don't necessarily have to watch in any particular order. Mm -hmm. um, Chrissy Teigen is the, you know, a perfect example. She's you know, done 18 episodes of um, Chrissy's Court. Nice. No, okay. no claim is too small. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then finally, I think one of the most innovative things we're doing is this notion of daily essentials. And you might talk a little bit about what you've Well, it's there. just, you know, right now, information and news is ubiquitously available on this, but it's not curated and it's not convenient. Mm -hmm. So you can find out anything you want to know, but you actually have to initiate it. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is taking the world of information and curating that and professionally producing it. And so in quibbies, five okay. minutes, six minute pieces, there's news headlines, sports headlines, weather, horoscope, uh, okay. uh, TMZ, you, you know, literally 25 shows, you know, not all of which are going to be of interest to you, but several of which sure. likely sure. are. And those things will be habitual. Those are the mm -hmm. things you'll come to every day, we think, mm -hmm. um, and will be of, of value. So the curation of information and, and news, we think, is a very high value mm -hmm. um, part of what we're offering our customers. Gotcha. And will known brands like TMZ, like, are they taking their existing content and refashioning it? For no, they're commissioning all new content. Okay. So they're, we're taking their funnel, mm -hmm. so their news gathering uh, apparatus, and then actually creating a new product out of it. So NBC is actually producing a brand mm -hmm. new show with different hosts, different set, you know, different editorial, very focused to 25 to 35 year old millennial audience. Mm -hmm. So everything about it will feel sort of broadcast and, and, and you know, sort of strong in its uh, quality and in its authenticity and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the reach of, of, of a worldwide global news gathering organization. But what they produce will be produced um, exclusively for Quibi. Next up, I talked with Tom Conrad, the chief product officer of Quibi, and Rob Post, the chief technology officer. And you may recognize Tom Conrad's name. He was a chief product executive at Pandora for a while. He moved over to Snapchat. Um, he is somebody who's definitely been thinking hard about how media works and how people consume it in new formats and on new devices. Uh... So you just spent some time with Megan Jeffrey? Yep. Good. Uh, so I'm the chief product officer. Um, Rob is our chief technology officer. Mm -hmm. um, we've both been here since essentially the beginning, about a little over a year now. And, um, you know, I think as, as Meg started to describe to you, Rob and I feel like it's our responsibility to create a platform for this content that says... Uh, innovative and inspiring as the as the the creators that that Jeffrey are bringing into the fold, mm -hmm. and we think of like the best way into that is to to create a dialogue between creators and product people and engineering people inside Quibi. Really, kind of every day. Okay. If you think a little bit about how 
the model has traditionally worked. Um, you know, someone writes a script, producers gets attached, they cast it, they find a director, they shoot it, they edit it, they color correct it, and then they put it on a file server somewhere, and a streaming service or a broadcast network or a cable company comes along, takes the content, and distributes it to their audiences. Mm-hmm. That process doesn't afford any opportunity for the the app developers, for example, that put the content out of the world to talk to the creators. And because all of the content that we're making for Quibi is is uh, original for our platform and built from the ground up for our use case, we can have those conversations and we're having them every day. Okay. I'll give you a, like one example. Uh, about a year ago, Steven Spielberg came in and uh, we were giving him an update on Quibi and he says, I have this horror anthology idea that I've been working on for some time and I'd really like to make the episodes only available when it's dark out. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and there's some creative executives in the room and some engineers in the room and one of the creative executives kind of chimes in and says, Stephen, I think we can do that. We'll put it up at midnight East Coast time uh-huh. and that'll be 9 o'clock West Coast time and so it'll be dark you know, when it goes up. And Stephen kind of nods and we're about ready to move on and the engineers are like, but, yeah, but, yeah. but, and of course, you know, we explained to him that we know where you are, we know what time of day it is, we know when the sun sets on this mm-hmm. particular day and that we can make the content magically unlock when the sun dips below the rising. And what's more, when the sun comes back up in the morning, we can melt the digital film on screen like a vampire getting <laughs> caught in a ray of sunshine and tell the, the viewer to come back. Uh, when it's dark out to watch the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg has been inventing the future in, on, in cinema since I was a boy. Yeah. His reaction to this is like, he can't believe it. He's like, he's, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. You can do that. And it's just, for me, it was this, this light bulb moment where, in the same way that what Steven Spielberg does like seems magic to me, mm-hmm. you know, what Rob and his team does seems magic to, to, to Steven. Um, and so we started having these conversations on a regular basis. And, and the, one of the things that we're revealing at the show um, is kind of uh, something that came from those conversations. And They give us a deeper dive into what I think is the biggest and most interesting innovation from Quibi. And that's a feature called Turnstyle. It's what lets you watch a mobile video both in portrait mode and landscape mode. And the service is built entirely around this technology. So you could move the video as you see fit. Uh, You could do it for some interactivity in some shows and movies. It's a really fascinating thing, and it's a really new way of using mobile screens. We devised a new format that takes a bespoke landscape cut and a completely independent portrait cut, Mm -hmm. unified by a single soundtrack, and present them to the user kind of simultaneously uh-huh. that lets you shift in back and forth. Have you guys talked about this much before? I don't remember hearing about this switching. We have not. This okay. is this is the, the, the big product news for us okay. at uh, the show. And so we have a little demo app. Um, turn the phone there. Nice, okay. And so you can just turn the phone, mm-hmm. you know, as you see fit. Um, there's a couple of cool things about this. <laughs> First, mm-hmm. it works at all. Rob's going to tell you yeah. about how in the world we did that. And then the second is, go back to portrait here for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's framed, right? Yeah. It's yeah. really gorgeous, too. Yeah. Like, I, when I saw this for the first time, I was like, oh my god. No one has ever made super premium portrait video before. We sure. see all this UGC sure. stuff in portrait. Um, but, you know, kind of this Hollywood-level production values are, are really unique. 
Do they have to shoot it twice to so make this work? The, the, the interesting thing about this is that the final deliverable to us is, in fact, an independent portrait and landscape edit. But what often is the mechanism that gets them there is they shoot like 8K Mm -hmm. landscape, maybe pulled back, uh, you know, 15% from what they might have normally shot, Mm -hmm. which gives them this whole canvas then to edit from to create their portrait experience. That's turnstile. We call this this uh, format. Um, Rob, you want to talk about? What yeah. To make so it? when when the product and design teams came to us with mocks of this, yeah, my 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 heart kind of sank because in the streaming video environment, and I've been doing this for maybe ten years or more, you really don't have that much leeway, right? You're you're streaming the bits to the phone, and what's really important to make that work is to ensure that when you rotate the phone. Mm-hmm. It's like super snappy. Sure. Like that's the number one um, uh, concern that you need to have mm-hmm. with this type of experience. So we thought maybe in the beginning, and this is some of the conversational things, we thought maybe in the beginning we could just like center crop and yeah. you can easily think of situations, even even with the, the content you saw here, where that's not going to work very well. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take away from effective storytelling. And do you feel like the filmmakers have to think both you know, that's that's the breakthrough. Like, you want the creators to be able to ensure that their story is being told, which kind of eliminates the the FOMO, like, you know, what am I missing if I'm not in the right orientation? Um, Because there's not not a right orientation. There's not. That's That's right. You do kind of have to wrap your head around that as a viewer on Quibi. Like, there is not a right answer. Both are equally compelling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then we were like, okay, well, maybe we could, like, really apply some technology to this. Let's, like, use... AI and machine learning to kind of find the areas of focus, mm-hmm. like uh, this is the person that's talking, or this is the area of focus because there's an explosion happening here, we could pan and do that ourselves. And we had some success for that, but again here, we, we didn't think it was always going to be able to deliver a premium video experience. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we got to the point where like, okay, two edits, let's let the creators um, choose uh, what the, the, the viewers should see. So now I'm faced with, all right, I have to stream these down to the phone, and I want that experience to be smooth, really seamless between the two orientations. So we experimented with many different implementations, and what we found is essentially the best user experience was to stitch together this portrait um, edit Mm -hmm. and this landscape edit Mm -hmm. and kind of take advantage of some encoding efficiencies, package them together as one, have a single audio track so there's no pops or blips or any challenges when you're rotating the phone. And then ultimately, we're able to deliver that down to the device. Are you pushing twice as much video data? No, no, absolutely not. So think of it as like we're kind of sidecar loading Uh some extra bits such that when you're rotating the phone, it's like ready to go. It's there for you uh, right away. And that's essentially the solution that we invented to handle this problem, and it's the basis of of our patent portfolio. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's really optimized around the the user experience of things. Mm -hmm. And I'd say um, this is really just the tip of the iceberg on what we would like to do by creating a platform for these storytellers to evolve the way that they're able to tell stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're using the gyroscope, obviously, in this scenario. What would happen if maybe we gave them access to the camera? Uh-huh. Like, what could they do with it now that they had access to the camera? What could they do if they had uh, access to the haptics or sure. the location or touchscreen? Or, like, all these things can now create maybe a slightly interactive show or yeah, a slightly yeah. social show for things. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
the example that Tom shared about Steven Spielberg is a really good one because mm-hmm. as the technologist, you can take an idea so far, but mm-hmm. once it gets into the hands of the creators, they like blow your mind with what they're able to do next. Yeah. So our ambition is to be able to kind of unlock some of these capabilities of the platform for them to be- tell better stories or mm-hmm. more engaging stories or et cetera, et cetera. Cool. And I think that's the exciting part for me as a technologist because mm-hmm. now the actual technology matters. Like mm-hmm. we're tying some of this storytelling into the capabilities of what's possible on mm-hmm. a phone. It reminds me of the old school interactive video games as well, like even like Dragon's Lair or something. Oh, right? Sure, sure. It is, it's not just streaming video. You guys have created this something where the viewer is involved. In a, that's, in yeah, that's really that's the opportunity, right, right okay. is to figure out how to do that, and, and frankly, how to do it in a way that's not just a choose-your-own-adventure, that yeah. happens sort of, like, naturally. During the show, Sherlyn also got to talk with the CEO of Lioness, a sex tech company that's been really working hard to fight for equal footing at CES over the past couple of years. This is a really fascinating look at how the conference is changing and how I think CES is maybe getting less sexist. I'm not quite sure, but I will let Sherlyn take it away from here. Her name is Liz Klinger, and Lioness makes a biosensing vibrator, which is one of the finalists for a last gadget standing tournament here at CES 2020. And this is controversial because the CTA has had a very fraught relationship with sex tech at CES for a long time. Last year, it all culminated when the CTA rescinded an award that it had initially given to a device called the OSA, made by another company called Laura DiCarlo. I'm very fortunate to have Liz Klinger, again, the CEO and founder of Lioness, here to tell her story. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a whole journey because when we when we first launched Lioness about, about two years ago, yeah, as Sherilyn said, we weren't able to uh, get a booth at CES officially, and it was a big bummer because we were really excited about what we were doing. And uh, when we, well, when we were kind of going back and forth with the CTA, um, they alluded to uh, not wanting to have any new sex tech products because you know that there's a other there's a few other companies that have been grandfathered in before, uh, but that year we saw that there was a large VR porn setup at the show that was new and we're like wait a second where is this line being drawn like this you know something is doesn't feel right here as we dug further into it we found that we were not the only company that was facing this it was pretty much all new sex tech companies in this well this past decade uh for the most part that weren't allowed into the show and that was kind of ridiculous for us so we ended up because because CES is a, a huge gatekeeper in terms of like what technology is discovered by people, they they determine what is sort of like trending topics for for that year in terms of technology. It's so important, especially for sex tech, because it's it's a topic that a lot of people are not going to just openly talk about as much as other topics. So by having a platform for it at a at the largest technology show in the world it really, you know, it makes sense that it should be there, especially with all the innovations that have been happening in the last decade. As Laura DiCarlo was going through its ordeal with the CTA, Liz was watching from the sidelines as it all unfolded, and obviously it struck a chord with her, and this is what she felt. 
it's frustrating because we're working on devices at the end of the day and it's all made out of the same types of materials and the, you know, same sort of processes as any other product out there, whether it be a phone or a tablet, a TV, what, you know, whatever it might be. It was really frustrating, but also I think the change, uh, it's a, it was a long time coming because it's something that like, I mean, talking to people in shows prior, there's a lot of people who are, who've been here who are frustrated that companies like Lioness, like Laura DiCarlo, like everyone else who's here was not able to show, especially ones that are doing something a little bit different in the space because CES is all about innovation. And it should be not just like innovation in a very few categories and also it's ended up for, at least for some people, stereotyping it. It's like, it kind of becomes the same thing year in, year out. And people come here to see what's new and what's interesting and what's a, what's an opportunity for them, whether for whatever field they're coming from. So what exactly is the Lioness 2 and why is it here at CES? Liz tells us all about the biosensing vibrator that her company made. Uh, so Lioness uses uh, precision sensors and biofeedback to show a person's arousal and orgasm. And the the thing that's the different significant thing with Gen 2 is that there's now AI-assisted guidance uh, with the experience because uh, what we were finding was that a lot of people had questions about like how to improve their experience, uh, how do they know if they had an orgasm sometimes? What is an orgasm? Where are they getting close? I was curious about whether the CTA corralled all of the sex tech gadgets that it was displaying. It was nice, actually, according to Klinger, that they were all basically dispersed among the health and gadgets category. That's a lot better than even just a few years back when tech for moms and women were just hidden away in a corner somewhere. Uh, the way that it's been displayed and talked about at CES has changed a lot over the years. Like a couple years ago, I think like we're looking at like 2016 about, um, there was like the, the technology that was geared towards uh, mothers uh, that was like in a completely different section of the show. Like it was not on the main show floor. And one of my um, one of my friends who was there, who was a founder of another company, he literally called it the baby ghetto. No. <laughs> yeah, because that's where all the like mother and all baby, the baby things are. Yeah, and like I don't know why they set it up that way, but like having all the like mother stuff and also it was like a lot of stuff not just for moms, even though it was called that, but it was stuff for women too, like nail polish custom. Or I forget, it's like a three D printed nail mm. polish manicuring thing yeah yeah Yeah. and it's like okay so you're stuffing a lot of women's stuff in the mother section in a separate room at the ces show floor and it's not part of the rest of the show right like i think it's not just it's not just sex stuff Mm -hmm. uh, though that's a part of it and for the sex tech stuff to some degree it's also just the way that people have seen technology that's more women-centric like it's been a kind of weird it's been handled weirdly in the past it's gotten better over time now that there is more the the women's stuff quote-unquote is more integrated in the show now than yeah. it had been at that time but that's I mean that's like 2016 yeah that's not that long ago it's important of course for the CTA to recognize sex tech as a category because it legitimizes the entire industry there 
Liz is going to explain further why personally for Lioness is important as well. I think it's important to, for Lioness and other sex tech companies to be at the show officially because versus the times that we have been there unofficially, uh, this year we've gotten a lot of people reaching out to us, whether it's press or media or well, press um, investors, retailers, other people who are just curious about what we do, who, are, who have been reaching out to us before the, the show even started because we are on the directory. They can find us. They can they can search for us. It's not something that they're going to have to dig through or just like happen to come upon this um, this booth at a at the right time when they're curious and have a little bit have a few minutes to see what's going on. They can they can prepare beforehand. They'll know that we exist. Now it's this large major platform uh, where more people know that, Hey, there's this thing called sex tech. Like, you know, maybe I should look into it. What, what the heck is this thing? And that's, that's awesome because there's, it's so difficult for uh, sex tech companies to be able to get the word out through normal, through normal means. Like we're not, we're not companies that can do a lot of the typical advertising that other e-commerce companies or other companies like your Caspers and your Birchboxes and your uh, whatever, you know, cool new direct-to-consumer companies out there can do. So yeah, this this has been a huge change. It's kind of understandable why there's a lot of stigma around sex tech. People are iffy about it, squeamish, don't want to talk about it. But just as erectile dysfunction can be a check engine light for men's health, women's arousal can also be an early indicator of something wrong in women's overall health. When Viagra and Cialis came out, more men were going to the doctor. Uh, but then also the doctors, when they when their patients asked for the blue pill, they knew to check not only for like blood flow issues down there, but also overall blood flow issues. And it helped cut back the risk of cardiovascular health issues or, you know, heart attack risk for men. But crazy thing is there isn't an equivalent for women. Like it deserves a look, I think, because there's some differences, but arousal and blood flow is not going to be a huge difference. And it's something that I've been, I've been kind of encountering a little bit on a case by case basis with a few folks. There's some people who have issues with uh, whether it's congenital heart defects or uh, they've had a heart attack before. I've also reported having difficulties having an orgasm. That is awesome. Cheers to kicking down doors and opening, you know, rooms for conversation on prickly subjects sometimes, I guess. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Sherlyn. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Engadget podcast straight out of CES 2020. We'll be back next week with more as we process and digest everything that we learned here at the show.